So Jesus said, Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works. Matthew, Sermon on the Mount, Salt and Light. You may have heard sermons on that two, three weeks ago. And the whole idea there is to, is to live in such a way that people see what you're doing. Except on Ash Wednesday. When in the next chapter we read Jesus saying, Beware. Now when Jesus says, Beware, my guess is, he means it. Be careful. Take heed. Listen up. There's danger ahead. And the danger in this case is not atheism. It's not secularism. It's not violence or high crimes and misdemeanors. The danger or the enemy ahead is fake religion, or perhaps better, distorted religion. Jesus say, saves some of his harshest criticisms for those religious leaders who practice their religious customs with ulterior or mixed motives. In Matthew 6, which we've just heard read, he doesn't name these leaders, but you can guess who they are. And by the time he gets to the end of his ministry, and you'll see it in Matthew 23, he calls them out by name and by position. Listen again to what Jesus says about these practitioners of distorted religion. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and in the most high important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and to have people call them rabbi. But you are not to call them rabbi, for you have only one master and you are all brothers and sisters. The word which he uses here and it occurs literally dozens of times in the Gospel of Matthew, is the word hypocrite. The word hypocrite literally means an actor in a play, someone who acts out a role, or who pretends to be outwardly, but they are not inwardly. Now we know that not all Pharisees were completely bad, and I suspect that some of them might begin their service with appropriate motives and intentions. But over time they succumbed to the temptations of power and prestige. This past week, many of us have been devastated by the news 
that John Vanier oppressed and abused women. He was a hero to so many people, a saint, in fact. How can that possibly be? How do you reconcile one thing that he did with another? Is he like the Pharisees in this story? Is he one who preached one thing and done another? How can you separate one from the other? We must not be too quick to side with Jesus and to assume that we are not among those whom he calls out. On the contrary, this text is for you and me to reflect on and to find out in the story where we place ourselves. I said earlier today, for those who are there, that the agenda for Lent is laid out both in the prayer book and the BAS, and it's in several parts. Part one is to read and reflect and meditate on scripture. Part two is to examine yourselves and to allow yourselves to be examined by scripture and by worship and by perhaps a confidant in whom you might trust. But the third part, lumping these three together, the third of these pieces of agenda for Lent are here in Matthew chapter 6. And they have to do with praying, with giving, and with fasting. Three common Jewish practices which have found their way into the Christian practice of God, faith in God as well. They're not exclusive. You can find others as well. But the essential dimension of these and other practices is not just the act, but the attitude or the motive which underlies them. The real issue here is motivation and a demand for openness, for transparency, and for consistency. Jesus speaks of reward, and he recognizes that all of our actions get a reward or receive a reward. One reward is the recognition that our action uh, attract, uh, accomplishes. If you do something good, if you pray, if you fast, if you, uh, if you are generous with your gifts, you can do it in such a way that you get a reward. And the reward you'll get will be the admiration and recognition of other people. What a good person he is. What a fine, upstanding individual that woman is. And we have various ways of rewarding people by emphasizing and magnifying their significance and they love it. And you love it. And sadly, so do I. Jesus speaks of that as a reward. And he says the Pharisees will get their reward. They'll do their act and they'll get recognition. But that's as far as it will go. It's a shallow, superficial, fleeting reward. Compare it to the reward of God's approval. Compare it to Jesus saying, well done good and faithful servant. That's a reward that isn't earned. It's not a reward to be coveted. 
It is surprising. It's unexpected. It's a divine bonus when God assures us of his love and grace, which we haven't deserved or earned in the first place. But that is the reward that we should be grateful when it comes and thankful for it. So this text in Matthew chapter 6 focuses on three acts of devotion. Giving, I call it charitable donations, praying, and fasting. Each of them and others like them can either express our love of God and neighbor, or they can become vehicles of our own self-promotion. Jesus warns about giving to God's work for our own ego satisfaction. Remember Jesus and his disciples sitting at the temple by the, uh, by the treasury and watching some people come in and with big lavish gifts plunk them ostentatiously in the basket. Compare this, says Jesus, with a poor widow who gave a few coins all she had. And Jesus commended her and said, Truly, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had. That's the kind of giving, great or small, that Jesus says attracts God's praise. Then the second of them, praying. Again, praying for the Jews of Jesus' day as it is today ought not to be controversial nor exceptional. It's what we do. The warning is not against public temple praying or church worship, but it's about the kind of informal or impromptu prayer that contains an element of, exhibi of exhibitionism, showing off, making an impression of spiritual superiority. You know it when you see it, and others know it when you do it. Beware, says Jesus, listen up. Then the third of these is fasting. It's evident again from the text that fasting, depriving oneself of some necessity for a period of time, was an accepted practice. And in our, and in our day, we too may choose to fast, to give up, an activity or a substance to remind ourselves that we are dependent on God and not dependent or addicted to something else. But fasting is not, again, an activity we undertake to get something. God, if you will give me this, that, or the next thing, I will fast. Fasting does not look for a reward. Fasting is simply our expression to God of our trust in him it's not a reason to boast about our spiritual self-control or superior superiority finally a word about ashes if you are a clergy person or will be or if as and when you at attend the funeral of somebody special you will hear the, those famous words earth to earth ashes to ashes, dust to dust. These are the primordial elements of the universe. God made Adam out of dust, Adama, dust. We are mortal. We don't live forever in an earthly state. 
we shall turn to ashes and then to dust, all of us in our common humanity. Dust was the source of our common origin, and it will be our common earthly destiny. We wear, we put on, we accept ashes as a sign of our sharing in common humanity. Remember our friend Job in the Old Testament, who was plagued by all sorts of calamities, permitted, so the text says, by God, but administered by Satan. Here's what's happened when Job's three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, when his three friends heard about all the troubles that had come upon Job, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and to comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud. They tore their robes and they sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with Job for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Receive ashes as you have done today as a mark of your frail, broken humanity, as a sign that we belong one to the other. We are all sinners before God, and yet we cling to the promise of Easter 40 days from now, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, yet in sure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in the spirit of doing your religious exercises in secret, think about how long and under what circumstances you will keep the ashes on your forehead. Wipe them off before too long. Don't go out into crowds saying, look, I've been to church, see how spiritual I am. But keep them on, keep them on long enough so that you can take a look in a mirror by yourself. See yourself and see yourself alone. And then only you and God will see the real and true you. God bless you this Ash Wednesday and this Lent. Read and meditate on scripture. Turn to him after self-examination in prayer and fasting and charity. And know that you are one with each other as God forgives, restores, and raises you up. Amen.